Well, good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's good to be with one another. Uh, we are, I'm excited, we are jumping right back into our study going through the book of Ephesians. We are, we are nearing third base. We've been on this journey since, uh, uh, since May, just kind of unpacking this line by line each week. And um, I don't know if you're getting anything out of it, but I've been challenged in my heart. And so it's just, I'm you know, bringing along my personal journey. It's been, a, it's been exciting to see what God has to say about every area of our lives. And so um, last week we, uh, we began to look at, or we, we returned back to chapter five in verse 18 in Paul's writing where he says, we are to be filled with the spirit, right? And I talked about the importance of realizing that what Paul is doing is he's presenting a contrast between being filled with the spirit and being filled with ourselves, right? And this is a theme that we see woven all throughout the book of Ephesians, that we are to be so filled with the Spirit of God that we are emptying ourselves of ourselves because it's not about us anymore, right? It's this reoccurring theme that we see in Ephesians. It's a reminder that, that we're not what we were, right? Aren't you glad about that? I mean, I'm, so th- I'm not the same person that I used to be. I'm not who I want to be yet. I'm working on that, right? And so are you. We're on this journey. But, but I don't think the same. I don't act the same. I don't see things the same way. Something happened in me where the Spirit of God came into my life and it changed me. It transformed me. And as we've been going through Ephesians, we are seeing this contrast of how the new life is to be lived out, allowing the Spirit of God to be lived out through us as opposed to living like we used to live. And so Paul's encouragement is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because when we're doing that, our focuses are changed, our attitudes are changed, our priorities are changed, our values have changed. Isn't it great to have arrived? We're not there yet, are we? I mean, positionally, we're there. But we're in this journey, this process, right? And, and that's what we're doing. We're on this journey of saying no to ourselves. That's what Paul talks about, dying daily, right? Not allowing the, 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 the natural desires of, the, of, of, of what's going on in our hearts to influence and feed our forward direction, but instead mortifying that, dying that, dying to that so the Spirit of God can be lived out in us. It's no longer I who live, Paul says, but Christ who lives in me. And so we've been looking at this idea where Paul says, listen, man, don't, don't be drunk with wine, right? Don't be influenced by wine. Don't be under the control of wine. Wine represents, this is more than just about wine, right? This, this, is, this is more about, the, the, the wine represents the influences of the world, right? Now, that doesn't give you permission to go out and get drunk, Far too, far too much drinking in the church today. We too, far too much celebration and permission that, that's being extended, right? We, we, we are exchanging kingdom for cocktails, and we, we, we need to have a healthy balance, and we need to re- realize the scripture addresses the fact that wine is a mocker, and so we need to have a healthy perspective on drinking. But what Paul is talking about here is not just the idea of being influenced by wine, but by being influenced by the vices of the world, Don't be influenced by the vices of the world, but instead be influenced by the Spirit of God that is within you. Paul finishes this section in verse 21 that we looked at last week. He says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence 
for Christ. So this is a key verse that, that connects what Paul just said about being influenced by the Spirit, right? By, by being full of the Spirit. It kind of, but what this does is now it's giving us a location on where the Spirit-filled life is to be evidenced in the believer. Where, what's the playing field? What's the location that the Spirit-filled life is to put in motion the life of the Spirit in our life? And specifically, as we'll see today, Paul is pointing us to those things that we call relationships because everything takes place in the arena of relationships. He calls us to, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? out of respect, out of honor, out of love, out of a sense of awe for Christ. We are to submit to one another. Now why? Why are we to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Because Christ values other people as much as he values you. Sometimes we, we need to remember, right, that Christ values other people as much as he, as he values us. And so we need to see people through the lens of what God says about them, about how God sees them, right? He calls us to, to submit to one another out of reverence, respect, and honor for Christ, it's about seeing others through the lens of how God sees them. Now, this idea of submitting, I mean, that can really, I mean, depending on where your experience has been, right, and what, how others have kind of played that out for you, what is this idea of submitting to one another look like? Let me just kind of unmask that for you. Submitting to one another is the idea of putting other people first, just like Christ did for you, right? Isn't that what he did when he went to the cross? Right, he went to the cross with you on his mind, right? And so what we see here is Christ putting others first, right, by going to the cross. Likewise, we are to submit to one another out of love and appreciation for Christ. And so the spirit-filled life looks like a life of, of submitting to one another, which enables us, and this is where it gets exciting, and empowers us to be used by God the Holy Spirit to best love, to best encourage, to best value, and serve one another. Here's the deal. It's, it's God the Holy Spirit ministering through you. That's the spirit-filled life. Too often times people confuse the spirit-filled life with spiritual gifts. They may include spiritual gifts, but the spirit-filled life is a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit in such a way that the Holy Spirit accomplishes his ministry through you. You see, the purpose of the, Holy, of the spiritual gifts, according to the scripture, is to, to build up. It's, it's to edify, to build up one another, right? To build up the church of God. So the gifts may be the means that God uses today, and it certainly he, that's what he does, but it's the means, the goal of the spiritual gifts is the edification of the body. It's the building up of the body. Well, listen, if we're full of ourselves, we're not gonna be empowered and enabled and released to allow the spirit of God to flow through us in ministering and building up one another. So springboarding off of the charge that Paul gives us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Paul then begins to give us some examples of what that looks like. What's, what, what's, what's the arena that spirit-filled living 
is to take place in, and specifically it's relationships. He goes right from this idea of being filled with the Spirit to going into the specifics of relationships. That was not like a, like, I'm done with that, let's move on to another subject. But no, the what is, the new life is to be filled with the Spirit of God, and the location for the Spirit of God living out in us is to be extended through the relationships that we are engaged in. And now Paul takes that truth and says, let me give you some ideas and some locations specifically where that's going to take place. Now you'll see as we look in these next couple of sections, not every relationship is there, right? He's going to to give his husbands and wives. He's going to give his kids and parents. He's going to give his employees and employers, right? But there's a whole host of other relationships that we're actively engaged in. But those are the, the relationships that if we got really honest, those are the ones that get to be so difficult sometimes, Those are the locations that we really need to kind of like employ spirit-filled living, right? Or let's get real. Those are the locations we really need to die to ourselves. Because if, hey, if just a a friend is, you know, rubbing me the wrong way, it's like, cool, I'm going to go hang out with another friend, Right? I can't do that with my wife, with my, with my kids, or, or a boss. I mean, there's a sense of, there's a sense of dependence upon and commitment that, that exists in the, relationship, uh, that, the relationships that Paul is presenting here between husbands and wives and kids and parents and employees and employers. And so not every relationship is, is built because here's the thing. This, and, this, and this is like, the, here's the big takeaway, ready? This section of scripture today and where we're gonna go the next couple of weeks isn't about husbands and wives. It isn't about parents and children. It isn't about employees and employers. It's about spirit-filled living. And the playing field where spirit-filled living takes place Paul will give us some examples. Here's what it looks like. We're going to see some truth in there. We're going to see some, the ways in which we ought to engage and interact with one another. But the big picture here is this is the way spirit-filled living takes place in each of these relationships. So my goal, like last week, is I'm going to upset a little bit of everybody today. Right, Because I think, I think there's some challenge here for each and every one of us. And I, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, but the reality of it is none of us like to die to ourselves. But the, th- the very thing that keeps me from living the Spirit-filled life is me, right? I got to get out of the way so the Spirit of God can be lived out through me so I, can ex- so I can be an extension of what God the Holy Spirit is looking to do in the lives of other people. So let's take a look together and we're going to begin to see some of these examples that Paul presents to us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Um, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but instead nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church 
because we're his members of his body. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, Paul says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And he took us back. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, before we jump into this section, let me point out, as I said before, that this section is not just about husbands and wives. If you're here this morning and you're not married, this isn't time to check out because, again, this is an example of a location in which spirit-filled living needs to be lived out. And so there is something for everybody here that we can look at and say, yeah, you know what? Because there are some things in the dynamics of a relationship, a marriage relationship, that, that come up that we go, oh, this is really ugly. I need to die to this, Right? And so there's, we, we see here these examples that Paul will give to us, but this isn't so much about husbands and wives as much as it is about the greater context of spirit-filled living, and that applies to all Christians, right? And so if you're not married and looking to get married, this is really good stuff to get a hold of because this is like better. I had somebody tell me this morning, man, if I would have heard about this 58 years ago, I'm so glad he didn't say if my wife would have heard about this 58 years ago, right? But, but and it's not because I'm saying it's, it's what the word of God says. This is truth. God created marriage, right? And, and God knows how to make it work, right? And so we're just gonna take a look at what God has to say about marriage. Look at, let's circle back to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husband. I think that if I'm asked one question more often than not when doing premarital counseling or marriage counseling, it's kind of like, what's this whole submission thing about anyway? Right? Like, what? The, you mean I need to submit to him? It's like, like, what? Does he get a whip? Like, what, what is this all about, this idea of submission? Because, I mean, it's a word that's in, in our English language that is really like, uh, uh, we kind of attach it to slavery, right? And, and ladies don't even like shake your head, like, yeah, that's what it feels like. But. <laughs> But the reality of it is, this is something that God has given to us, right? This idea of submission. But this is a subject oftentimes that kind of comes up. And, and I love it. And, and oftentimes, to get really honest, it's usually the guy who brings it up. And he'll be like, well, pastor, here's the problem with the marriage. <laughs> now, now, anytime a person, just, I, I love that, because anytime they talk about the marriage, like the marriage is a separate entity from the husband and the wife, like, hey, I'm fine, right? She's good. We're fine. The problem is the marriage. No, no, no. You are the marriage. So if there's a problem in the marriage, there's a problem with you, right? And so I love, and, and oftentimes I'll hear the guy say, listen, man, here's the problem in the marriage, pastor. She just won't submit. <laughs> and, I, and I love that because I'm like, you just fast-tracked where we need to go. I am locked and loaded, and we are going to really kind of talk about this idea of submission. Now, oftentimes, ask the really good question that I kind of say, well, I appreciate that. I get that. But here, here's the problem. Oftentimes, we forget what precedes Paul's words to submit to your husbands. Don't look in your Bibles right now, but think about it. What happens, what does Paul say right before he says, wives, submit to your husbands? 
Verse 21, not love your wives. That's afterwards. What happens, right? It says in verse 21, submit yourselves to one another. And so I'll often ask the guy, hey, listen, so I got, I got the whole idea. You got the whole Bible memorization down of verse 22, wives, submit to your husband. Talk to me about verse 21. Verse 21 says we are to submit to one another. My Bible teaches mutual submission one to another. And at that point, he usually checks out, right? <laughs> submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul will unveil for us the design for marriage and how that is played out. And then it's, see, then it's not used as a weapon. It's used as a tool, right? It's used as a gift. Submitting to your husband doesn't mean you check your brains at the door. Now, ladies, I know you know that, so let me just remind you guys in case. Guys, your wife submitting to you doesn't mean she checks her brains at the door, that she doesn't speak into a situation, that she doesn't have something to say, right? That she doesn't give any input on what is being presented. The spirit-filled life looks like mutual submission to one another. And then Paul points out how God designed the home to operate, by presenting the husband as the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. In fact, in the same way that the church is to submit to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. You see, God is a God of order. God creates systems so that they work, so that they design. God knowing when you get two individuals coming together and and the two become one, not everything's gonna be so harmonious, right? There's gonna be times where a decision needs to be made. And you see, God, in the same way that God designed the church with a structure and an order, likewise, God has created a structure and an order in the home. And what Paul lays out for us is this idea of headship. That the husband is to love the wife, the wife is to submit to the husband. So what does that look like? Let me just tell you, in 26, going on 27 years of marriage, you could ask my wife, she's in the back, a lot easier to preach it in the first service when my wife wasn't here than when she is here. But uh, you could double check and I'll say the same things. And so, uh, no, I'm kidding. In 26 plus years of marriage, I've never had to pull the submit card. I've never had to say, well, listen, you know what? You just need to submit to me. I reserved that card in the back of my pocket and thankfully I've never had to pull it nor would I, probably would be fed to me um, (laughs) in different ways. You see, submission doesn't, and calling for submission doesn't mean that we bully somebody into getting what we want. But there are times, and there have been times in our marriage where we've had to look and say, we've got to make a hard decision. If you've been married for any length of time, you know that there's gonna be times where you've got to make a hard decision and you're talking it through, and you're praying it through, and you just don't know which way to go. I'll give you a perfect example. I didn't think of this earlier, but when, we were, when it was time to, to, uh, to plant Integrity Church, I was, at a, I was preaching and, and teaching. I was an associate pastor at, at Grace Gospel Church, and I was kind of feeling like God was opening the door and calling me to, to plant a church, and we started talking about it and praying about it, and, and 
I mean, on paper, it was the stupidest thing in the world. I mean, that we, I left a job that I was you know, securing, my bills were being taken care of, to come into plan to church, not knowing what kind of resources that was gonna require of me, right? We had three children and one on the way and not knowing if, what kind of a job I'd have to get, whether I insure. I mean, on paper, it wasn't the best idea, right? And so we really talked it through and wrestled it through. And, and I just remember saying, so what do you think? And I remember saying, well, I guess the safest place to be is right in God's will. So we make the decision. You see, that's submission. And we made the decision, and here we are today, right? But the reality of it is, I could have been like, oh, listen, just get on board. You need to do it. And I, you know, no, that, would have, that would have never worked. That's not the design, the way in which God calls marriages to work out. Now, God calls us, and, here, and, here's, and here's, the, here's the key piece. When the husband needs to make a, make a decision, you see, what God does at that point is he says, husband, head of the home, you have the responsibility to make the decision. And here's the key. You are to look at that decision through the lens of what's best for your wife. Not what you want, not what you're hoping for, not what you groom to say, but what is best for your wife and your family. You have the responsibility. You have the weight of that, right? And that, that's, that's the way in which God has designed for that harmony to exist in the home. Now, we can't read Wives, submit to your husbands without reading the next section that follows, right? Thankfully, the Ephesians doesn't end right there, right? We can't read wives submit to your husbands without looking at the rest of the thought that Paul lays out there, which really is the, the other side of the same coin. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And then he says in verse 25, ready, guys, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, love your wives. How much? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So here's the, here's the lens that we need to look at. Wives, submit to your husbands through... The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. In other words, Christ served the church. The reality is Christ protects the church. Christ provides for the church. Christ meets all the physical, the emotional, the spiritual needs of the church. In fact, Christ loved the church so much that he gave his life for the church. You give me a husband who loves his wife like that, and I'll give you a woman who's first in line and wanting to submit to her husband. You see, the problem with men is, I've just caught the attention of every woman in the room. The women perked up, the guys checked out, right? <laughs> like, here we go, right? 
the problem with men more than women is that men tend to be selfish. Let's just call it like it is. Don't have to, you don't have to shake your head. Something in our wiring that got messed up in the fall. It's like, hey, she got the rib. I want everything else. I don't know. But, but there, there's something, right? There's something in the wiring of men that we are, by default, selfish. Perhaps that's why God didn't have men give birth, right? Because they never would, right? <laughs> this is what Paul said about that. He says, look, he says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife, he loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Paul, I love what Paul says here. He's like, hey, listen, husbands, you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church. He who loves his wife, he loves himself. No one has ever hated his flesh. Guys, you don't hate your flesh, but instead you nourish it, you cherish it, you make sure you're taken care of just as Christ does the church. So basically, the, the husband is to love his wife in such a way that everything he does is to serve and benefit his wife, just like Christ did for the church. And the wife is to submit to her husband in the same way that the church submits to Christ. And so we have this beautiful Thomas Kincaid picture of a happy home where love and submission is operating and there's perfect harmony with one another and everyone is thriving and everyone is happy and everyone is fulfilled and feeling complete. Everyone is smiling. They're waking up with smiles. They're going down with smile. I mean, everything is beautiful in paradise. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but the reality of it is what God has done for us in the Scripture has given us the recipe for that to become a reality, by the way. You see, if we would only love our wives as Christ loved the church, if we'd only submit in, to, to our husbands and mutually submit to one another, if we truly lived for the other person, harmony would be so much more of a reality in our lives. But the problem is we're flawed. The problem is we're, we're broken. The problem is we, we have a past. The problem is we, we have insecurities. The problem is we, we self-preserve at the expense of others. The problem is we've been influenced by so many other people, by so many other relationships. We are surrounded by every bad example of what marriage ought to be. Which is why we must look at marriage through the lens of what Paul is really saying in this text. You see, this isn't directly about marriage. It's about being filled with the Spirit. It's about being influenced by the Spirit. If you don't feel like, well, I really don't really feel like I need to be filled in the Spirit, good, let's hold up this expectation of what a husband and how a husband is supposed to love his wife. 
moment, if you don't think that you need to be filled with the Spirit, good, talk to me about how well you're submitting and respecting your husband. When we start to look at what the biblical expectations for harmony is, we become very aware of how depleted and how, um, uh, how, how, how empty we are to accomplish those things of ourselves, right? Because again, we're selfish. And so to the degree that we die to ourselves and we die to our self-preservation is the degree that we're filled with the Spirit and as we're filled with the Spirit, we're able to love the way God has designed for us to love. Paul is laying out for us a beautiful opportunity for not only harmony in our home, but harmony in all of our relationships. Look what he says in verse 18. Look, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Look, addressing one another. That's the, that's, the, that's the relationships, right? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, look, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does verse 18, being filled with the Spirit, look like? Who's the beneficiary of being filled with the Spirit? God is our beneficiary, right? To give thanks to God our Father. We are to sing, uh, make melody in our hearts to the Lord. But it's also to one another. It's to relationships. So the beneficiary of spirit-filled living is the health that comes in our relationships when we allow the spirit of God to inform the way we treat one another. That's a lot easier to preach than it is to live. I'm, lo- I'm working on living this out from the experience side of the cross because there's still so much on the inside that gets in the way. And I look at the design that God has for marriage and I can let that either discourage me or drive me to say, I've got to let go of who I am. I've got to let go of this self-preservation so that God, the Holy Spirit, can love my wife through me, love my husband through me, love others through me. Look at verse 31 to 33. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's focus on verse 33 and then we'll kind of go backwards a little bit here. What is he saying here? Husbands, love your wife as yourself. You see, sometimes when we talk about this idea of loving our wives as Christ loved the church, that, that, there's, sometimes that's really hard to kind of wrap our arms around, right? Good. So if you really want to get an idea of how you ought to love your wife, just look in the mirror and how well you take care of yourself sometimes. Now, not so much always on the outside, but what goes on in your mind on the inside to make sure you're getting what you think should be coming to you. Maybe, maybe that thinking needs to flip, Because Paul says in verse 29, again, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That means it's completely true, right? For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. 
And yeah, we really don't care what Siri thinks, right? No one has ever hated his own flesh, but instead nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So what, what, is, what is Paul saying here? That he's giving us the example and saying, listen, guys, you need to nourish and cherish your wife in the same way that Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. And so, man, nourish and cherish your wife. Nourish and cherish your wife as Christ loves the church. Nourish means provide everything your wife needs. Now, a lot of times, we don't know what they need. And there goes the the journey of discovery, of communication, of listening and learning about one another to hear what the needs are. So that God, the Holy Spirit, can equip us to meet those needs. Nourish, to cherish, means to protect and care for your wife. It speaks of value. Christ valued us so much that he went to the cross for us. Nourish and cherish your wife. It's been a lot, a lot of news, a lot of, a lot of news lately um, about Tom Brady. You might know who Tom Brady is. Right? Tom Brady, uh, widely considered uh, the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Love him or, or hate him, you can't take away from the fact that the guy, uh, he, he's been getting it done for a really long time, and, and he, has, um, he, has, he has established himself as the, the best, best quarterback of all time. Anybody know how many rings, Super Bowl rings, or how many rings he has? Oh, is it up there already? Okay, yeah. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So Tom Brady has seven rings on this picture, but the reality is Tom Brady has eight rings. You see, the ring you don't see on Tom Brady's hand is his wedding ring. And I'm not here to bash Tom Brady and to fill in inquiring minds that want to know, but it's become a very popular subject in, in, in the media today that Tom Brady, after having seven Super Bowls, right, he finally decided he was going to retire, which his wife was ecstatic about. Finally, I could have a life with my husband. Finally, my husband, and this is all content from her, finally, my husband could help me raise the kids. Here's the deal. As he's been so saturated in football, he's missed every Thanksgiving, he's missed every Christmas, he's missed funerals, he's missed anniversaries, he's missed birthdays, right? In the pursuit of this ring. And now, according to the media, we know the media is always true, they're filing for divorce because he's going, he went back into football. And I, I, if I had an opportunity with Tom Brady, I'd say, brother, you're chasing after the wrong ring. You're chasing after the wrong ring. I pray for him. I pray to God. I pray they are kids. I pray to God that, he, that, that God brings healing to their marriage. And, and you know, I, I highlight that this morning because, guys, sometimes we could be chasing after the wrong ring. Going after the accolades, going after the position, going after the money, going after the prestige, going after whatever, and forget that the ultimate ring that we should be going after is that bride, your wife, the one that God's given to you. 
Tom Brady got the Super Bowl ring in 2002, 2004, 2005, 2015, 17, 19, and 21, but he got that wedding ring in 2009. Seems to have lost sight of it. Guys, what ring are you chasing after? Do you know that God's wired your wife in such a way that she needs to be cherished? She needs to be nourished in order to feel secure in your love. You know where I've learned that? From my wife, who's reminded me of the times I haven't done it. See, I grew up one of four boys. I've got four boys, a lot of testosterone in my life. And I'm learning how to cherish my wife more. I'm learning how to love my wife more, right? That's the goal. That's the, the, we got a good marriage, by the way. I'm just, but I'm just saying, I haven't arrived yet. I had somebody have the audacity to tell me this morning, ah, I've, been, I've done all those things, and she's still a problem. I'm thinking, God bless you, I haven't done all those things, and I'm like, I got enough to deal with right here. But, but I think to myself, what are we chasing after, right? Your wife's not your buddy. She's your bride. Men, make sure you're chasing after the right ring. Now, ladies, you're not off the hook. Before you celebrate and rest your arm from elbowing your husband, tell him to listen up, the scripture's got something for you as well. Verse 33 says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. In his book, Wild at Heart, John Eldridge points out that man's biggest fear is the fear of being found out found out that he really doesn't know everything, that he works really hard at letting other people think he knows. You see, the reality is, as a man, you're a leader, you want to be you know, large and in charge, you want, to, you want to communicate that you got everything together, that you have no flaws, you have no insecurities, everything is going fine, but on the inside, you're really hoping that nobody realizes, I don't know what I'm gonna do next. A lot of times we're just nothing more than a bunch of boys in a men's body with man responsibilities. And so I heard that, I read that, I thought to myself, yeah, that, that is man's biggest fear, the fear of being found out. And there's nothing more deflating to a man than a wife who loves to point that out. Yeah, you don't know what you're doing. Do you realize you did this? Why do you do that? You've tried this so many times. Why can't you fail? How many times have I told you to do it? And there's nothing worse, than, than, nothing more that will take that thing that you loved about that husband when you first married him and reduce him to a child more than a lack of respect. Criticism is the antithesis of respect. Now, ladies, that doesn't mean you don't point something out. God knows we need help sometimes. We just don't see it. But you don't got to point everything out. Right? But the timing and the tone communicates value and respect. God has wired your husband to thrive in an arena of respect. And ladies, if you want to bring the best out of your husband, if you want to see him be who you wanted to marry from the beginning all along, all over again, maybe stop looking at him 
and start looking at yourself and ask the question, am I showing respect? Am I showing mutual submission to my husband? Am I creating an environment where he feels as valued as I am required and invited to make him feel? And you see, a person who's filled with the Spirit will be able to put in motion that which the other person needs. To the degree that I'm filled with the Spirit is the degree that I can love my wife as Christ loved the church. To the degree, lady, that you're filled with the Spirit is the degree that you can submit and respect your husband. To the degree that you're both filled with the Spirit is the degree that there'll be home harmony and peace in your home and it'll thrive the way God designed for marriage to be. Look, let's circle back here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father. Just wrapping it up. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We need to highlight the importance of what the scripture says here in Genesis as well as Ephesians, the importance of leaving and cleaving, right? A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. We need to understand the importance of being one together, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every way. Letting go of those other things that we were committed to in our individuality. Right? I mean, you think about the genius of God. Like, all right, so how am I going to, you know, get them to depend upon me? I know. I'm going to put two individuals together who are wired very, very different, right? And they are going to become one. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what happens. It's like once you get past the honeymoon, like, oh, you're great, you're great, you're great. Like, you're not so great. <laughs> you know? And it's kind of, so what happens at this point is now, now it's kind of like, all right, wait a minute, we need to start seeing this other person through the lens of what, who God says they are. And I need to realize that this person is in my life to complete me because I am incomplete. And you see, what worked completely fine for me as an individual doesn't work as a married man. And so God has brought a woman into my life to complete me so that together we can reflect the Christ who saved us. The two shall become one flesh. This is where individuality is exchanged for oneness. For oneness. We see in this oneness, we see mutual dependence upon one another which is designed to be present in a marriage. The moment that one spouse begins to live independent from the other is the moment that they step out of God's design for marriage. When they step out of oneness and individu into individuality, it results in the separation and the division, which is inconsistent with how God designed for marriage to be. We must live in mutual dependence upon one another because the enemy, what's his goal? To divide, to sever, to take that one and separate it. Paul says this, this mystery is profound. 
And I'm saying that refers to Christ in the church. We talked a while back uh, about um, the union that exists between Christ and the church. Something that we don't fully, aren't able to wrap our arms around, but we have marriage as a, as a picture of what the union of Christ in the church is. That in the same way that marriage is to two individuals that come together and make one, likewise, Paul says, this is profound. He says, I'm speaking that that union in marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. It is the most sacred of covenants that we see in the scriptures. This is so significant because it highlights the sacredness of marriage. Marriage is not just a legal institution, but is a sacred covenant that exists between two people and God. It is a picture of the relationship that Christ has of the church, it is no wonder why the enemy is so bent on bringing destruction to marriages today, redefinition to marriages today. What God says about marriage still holds true. Hey, your experience might not look like that. I'm so sorry it doesn't. You can't be responsible for what the other person does. We can only be responsible for what we do, Right? So, because we, 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 could, we could walk out of here feeling like, oh boy, that, yeah, that would have been really great to hear 58 years ago. But you know what? At this point, let's just put it in motion and communicate what God's word says, right? And realize that, 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 that what's under the blood is under the blood. And we just kind of go forward as new creations in Christ Jesus. But that's why I said earlier, this isn't so much about marriage. It's about the spirit-filled life on the field, the playing field of marriage. Next week, we'll dig a little deeper into some other relationships that that spirit-filled life is going to be played out on. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for how it always causes us to look in the mirror and then cling to the cross, realizing that, Lord, it's not so much what I think other people should be doing, but, Lord, what you're doing in me. And so, Lord, would you challenge our own hearts this morning? Would you help us to examine our hearts and, and um, live out the blessing and the joy that you've called us to. Father, I pray for the marriages here at Integrity Church. God, I pray your protection upon them. I pray that the sacredness and the awareness of how sacred marriage is would come to a very high value in the life of every married couple at Integrity. Lord, may we be an example to the world around us that, that just flippantly um, opens and closes the doors to marriage. But help us, Lord, to reflect Christ in the church through our marriages. We give you thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.